Hello, this is Daniel Gregory, and thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the Perceptive Photographer Podcast. I hope you're having a great week. This is episode 399. We are almost episode 400, a nice round number, hitting that 400, I was going to say year mark, but really it's just 400 weeks. Still an exciting milestone to hit. I think I'll be looking forward to next week's podcast when we do round out to the 400 on our march then towards 500. Again, thanks so much for spending a little bit of time out of your week. I know you've got a lot going on, so I really do appreciate you subscribing to the podcast or listening to the podcast. If you haven't subscribed, go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Make sure you get all the latest episodes when they're released every Monday. This week, I wanted to talk about the notion of clear and concise in photography and the problem with not being clear and concise in photography, but the problem with how we sort of evaluate or set up the criteria to define clear and concise in photography. And I think part of it is rooted in some of the traditions of how we are evaluated and how we choose to evaluate things based on some of the history of academia and how we were sort of tested in school, or if you're still in school, how you're currently tested. And I think one of the things with that criteria sits the idea of how do we effectively make sure that somebody knows the information that's been conveyed to them. And so we set up a set of tests. And so the idea is, you know, if I have a multiple choice test and I create a multiple choice test and I ask a question, what particular setting on your camera will have the greatest effect on depth of field? And then I say shutter speed, ISO, F-stop, or Lightroom. And so people go through and then they work on the thing and they say, oh, well, that has to do with aperture. Or if I ask the question, which tool is the most effective for creating softness within your photograph? And then I say aperture, Gaussian blur, lens blur, a desharpening plug-in, or none of the above. Well, now all of those actually do some level of out-of-focus work. Well, except the none of the above. But the other elements, the other A, B, and C there, all are effective ways of creating some level of out of focus, some level of blur within the photograph. And so that question within an exam, that question within the test becomes unclear. It becomes less concise in our understanding of ultimately what we're trying to assess. And so as photographers, I think a lot of us have been corrupted by that process of evaluation that's sort of rooted in that inappropriate way to design tests to determine if somebody knows something. Because really what a test determines is how well did the instructor do conveying the information. And secondary to that is, is the appropriate information being transmitted? Or again, sort of like with standardized tests, are we just providing information so that somebody can pass a test? In photography, we can run into that same problem. We can get symptomatic of a standardized test, a potentially poorly written standardized test, and then setting ourselves up to evaluate, judge, create our photographs, process our photographs in such a way as to meet this arbitrary standard, whether it's effective or not. The other thing that that arbitrary standard doesn't take into account is all of the aspects of your own creative process, your own creative interpretation of the world and vision through photography that makes up your photographs. 
And this is one of the challenges when we critique art and when we grade art. It's very hard to say that, well, that drawing is an A and that drawing is a B because, well, on some level, I like A more than B. It lacks the precision of, say, is 2 plus 2, 4. And so in that process of evaluating the photograph, if we apply the criteria of 2 plus 2 equals 4, therefore F8 is the correct F-stop if you want to have partial depth of field, partial blurring, partial things in focus, we end up with an inadvertent sort of criteria by which we define what makes a photograph work or not work. And so I think part of the challenge we have is that being clear and concise in the sense of can I define what makes a good photograph every time I see the photograph? Can I define without question before I go out and photograph what will ultimately make a photograph a good photograph is in many ways, I think, missing the point. Because part of the point of photography is to go out and see and experience in a hopefully unique way, in a way that says, this is who I am as a photographer. This is what I'm seeing. This is how I am going to create this photograph that is uniquely my way of seeing. If that is the criteria, if that is the goal is to go out and make my own photographs and not make the robotic photograph of a defined shutter speed, f-stop, processing method, cropping method, whatever it is, that I'm truly looking for what is the experience I have behind the camera. I do have an obligation, I believe, to be as clear and concise as possible in that communication. And so this is why I say it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. I want to be clear and concise in how I communicate. But in the evaluation of that photograph, and the criteria that says, is that photograph meeting the intention of the photographer, the processing of the photographer, whatever other criteria we want to judge, what is the actual rationale behind how we make that determination? When I look at a photograph and I create a series of very specific checkboxes that speak to the yes or no nature, the true or falseness of a photograph, I in many ways am now limiting what is possible in my interpretation of the photograph because I've already predicated based on what I believe to be the clear, concise criteria for evaluating and determining what a photograph is and its purpose and intention, if that photograph is outside the bounds of the set of questions I've developed, the set of evaluations that I have developed, I will miss the mark. I will not be successful in my ability to experience that photograph, to successfully read that photograph. And so when we get bound up by our own suppositions about what are the criteria by which we must use to define that photograph? And if I ask you, what are those criteria? You're going to try to tell me, well, I looked at the frame, the composition, the color, the way it was processed, things that were annoying, the noise level. You're going to give me this boxed set of criteria. But again, if that is the wrong criteria, or if that is a limited scope criteria, we are going to inadvertently miss an opportunity to experience photographs in a much more dimensional way, a much more three-dimensional, four-dimensional ways by looking at them from various aspects. And so I think that's one of the criteria if we are to get better at viewing photographs and one of the criteria if we are to get better at creating photographs is for us to start to recognize 
Have we become so rigid in our approach to looking at photographs? Have we become so formulaic in what is a correct photograph? And some of that is being brainwashed a little bit by how people process, how social media feeds us photographs, how advertising feeds us photographs, our own personal bias and habits. I process photographs to look the same way over and over again. I start to develop what is a correct looking Daniel photograph. But again, if that becomes restrictive, if that becomes too difficult for me to then break out of that criteria to make sure that I am as expressive as possible. So again, I want to be as clear and concise in the expression of how I view the photograph or create the photograph. And to do that, I have to allow for the opportunity for new ideas and new interpretations to come into play. And so as I think about how do I successfully grade a photograph, how do I successfully grade my own efforts of the photograph? In many ways, it breaks out of a multiple choice type format or a true false type format. Maybe I have to move into a sort of multidimensional test approach where there is maybe a little true false, maybe a little multiple choice, maybe a little essay, maybe a little dialogue. Maybe we have to reshuffle the board. Think about that game where the cards are upside down and you got to flip them over and use your memory to get the pairs to match. Maybe we have to think a little outside the box about how we evaluate the photograph. So that what we're really evaluating is, did the photographer communicate effectively through the photograph? Not did I create a set of criteria in an effort to decide, is the photographer clear and concise in that communication? But rather, how did they approach that? What comes up within that image? And in addition to that, much like a self-reflection, a self-evaluation, so much of how we view photographs, so much of how we view photography is based on our own bias and our own sort of predication of how we think things should be, that to look at a photographer and say that photographer has failed the test of a proper photograph, in many ways is a reflection of potentially our failure to properly view and understand the photograph. And I'm not saying that there's not photographs out there that don't need some help. I'm not saying there's not photographs out there that are poorly composed, poorly framed, poorly edited, poorly cropped, poorly seen, boring. All of those criteria by which we sort of bypass a photograph. Those things exist. And I think it's important that we acknowledge those photographs and we talk about those photographs. And if we're creating those photographs, that we get feedback about those photographs so that we can create more meaningful photographs. But at the same time, there's a lot of times where we attempt and think about how we approach our photography in a way that is more self-serving to the criteria by which we judge it rather than the actual execution of the criteria by which we view the photograph. Again, I've talked about this a little bit in different slants in other podcasts, but in service of the critique... Who is it serving? The person providing the critique or the person receiving the critique? Many times it's to feed the ego of the person giving the critique. Same thing here. If we think about is the test, the criteria by which we're evaluating the photograph in the service of the photographer, in service of how smart I am as the person who designed the test, or in the person down the road who might arbitrarily grab my criteria and attempt to apply them to photograph, 
do those work as well. So I think that's one of the things for us all to think about as we approach our photography. Again, is how concise, how real is the effort we're putting into it? And are we using the correct criteria by which to judge it? Or again, have we are inadvertently created a horrible, biased, multiple choice test that really doesn't effectively test the knowledge of the creator or how effective I was as the critiquer? It basically just creates a sort of pile of mush. So let's get out there and try to avoid some mushy piles this week. And really, as we think about how do we approach those photographs, how do we approach those criteria? Is there a way to make sure that photographs remain clear and concise, but also our criteria by which we judge them remains clear and concise and effective? Have a wonderful week behind the camera. Thanks so much for joining me here for episode 399. Don't forget, next week, episode 400. So that'll be exciting. Have a great week, and uh, thanks so much for listening.